Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. If you were an athlete and a foolproof formula was developed for you to increase your abilities or better your game, would you follow it? Or if you had cancer and a proven cure came on the market, would you take it? How about if you struggle with fear, anxiety, hopelessness, and you learned a perfect cure is already available? Would you be willing to try it? We are excited to tell you that we have located the solution for fear and anxiety. We've tried it ourselves and found it to be 100% effective. And it's free. I'm Debbie Blank, excited to share this discovery with you so we can enjoy lasting benefits in our lives' issues. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. If there truly is a safe and surefire cure for fear, anxiety, and hopelessness, I think most people would want to know about it. It's no wonder. We're all living through such unprecedented times, and things are really getting hard to deal with. I'm reminded of the anti-acid commercial where they ask the question, how do you spell relief? And then the announcer spells out R-O-L-A-I-D-S. Well, God has a more perfect cure. It's spelled F-A-I-T-H. It's not a pill, but it is something you ingest, along with a moderate exercise program and a big glass of the water of God's Word. So if you or a loved one need relief, stay with us today as we go through the directions for how to get God's prescription against fear, anxiety, and hopelessness. I'm sure that each one of us would run to the store and buy F-A-I-T-H if we could, because it's easier that way. You know, our life is full of so many interesting things going on these days. Between COVID and you have the Russia and Ukrainian situation, you have the division in our country that's worse than anything since the Civil War. We have a moral decline in our culture, lies and deception by media and leaders, and probably the biggest is falling away from God and His Word. Those are just a few of the things we're experiencing that bring anxiety because we don't know where to turn. Polls are telling us that so many people are suffering from some level of fear, anxiety, or hopelessness that suicides are on the rise like never before. Well, it's not surprising because fear is Satan's strategy. He uses fear to discourage us, to try and control us, to get us to quit or give up or to turn to other things besides God, maybe like other people or businesses or government or something else in hopes of easing our pain. But those are just lies. Remember, John 10, 10 says that Satan came to kill, steal and destroy. So anything dealing with Satan and fear is a lie. On the other hand, we've got the pill. Faith, F-A-I-T-H, which comes from God. That is our hope. Having faith in God allows us to trust him, to know that he's with us, and that he'll walk us through whatever happens in the tough times that we experience. That's why he tells us in his word that we're to be anxious for nothing, because he knows that anxiety gets us nowhere. It actually turns us away from him because we get stressed and sleepless and have internal physical struggles, whereas faith and trust in him gives us peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that calms our hearts and our minds. So when the Bible says over a hundred times, 
do not fear or do not be afraid. God gives us that admonition because he knows the answer to that is we're not to be afraid because he is with us. Remember Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. That's not just physically with us. It's with us spiritually all the time to walk us through whatever we go through and to give us his calm, his peace, his joy, his patience, all those fruits of the spirit that he mentions in Galatians 5.22, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When things are out of control for us, we can be assured that God is in control. And we know that whatever he does and whatever his plans are, he does exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think because he's God. And he wants to work through us and in us to draw us to him so we will trust in him. Sometimes as Christians, we feel guilty about being fearful, about things that are fear-inspiring. The things that you mentioned, the listing of the things that are going on now are things that in our human nature, anybody is going to be concerned. Anybody's going to be worried. Anybody's going to have some anxiety about that. It's Satan's strategy to use fear to cripple and paralyze us and to take us out of the game and to turn us away from the thing that will really defeat Satan, and that's turning to God. So that's one of Satan's tricks is to get us to fall into that fear. God tells us so many times in the Bible, do not fear. I've also heard that there's a do not fear type of verse 365 times in the Bible. If it's in there that many times, it means that God knows that we're going to need it. Sometimes people feel like there's something wrong with them if they initially have fear. So I think he puts that in there so many times because number one, he doesn't want us to fear. And number two, he knows we're going to and that we need him to get through that. We need to refocus back on him. I'm glad you said that, Jackie, because we do all experience fear or anxiety at some point in life for any number of reasons. We're emotional people, and those are responses to certain issues in life. So we're all going to experience it. It's what we do with it that matters. Do we let that anxiety control us? Because if we do, it will destroy the direction that we're going. Or do we turn to God in that anxiety and let him take over and let him give us the wisdom and the direction? And when we do that, it doesn't mean that the problems are going to end. It means that he has given us the peace to know that we're going in the right direction and we're trusting in the right person. Let's use some examples from the Bible of people who could have been afraid, were afraid, but turned to God. And one of those people is Joshua. Now, I don't ever see in scripture where Joshua was afraid. However, God told him four times in the first chapter, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. Because Joshua was taking over Moses' job. Moses is the only deliverer that Israelites ever knew. He went to Pharaoh 40 years before and was able through God's miraculous provision to bring the Jews out of Egypt. He helped them and guided them and was their leader for the 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't like a lot of things he did, but he was always speaking for God and always looking out for the best interests of the Jews. And they trusted him over time. So when it was time for him to leave them, somebody else had to take over and that was Joshua. 
So in Joshua chapter one, God says to him in verse five, I will not fail you or forsake you. In verse six, be strong and courageous. Then in verse nine, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even though Joshua never showed fear, that's what God spoke into him in this first chapter. Because that tells me that Joshua either was fearful, had the potential to be fearful, or just that position that he was taking would cause anxiety in his life. So God is assuring him before he ever takes over as leader of the Jews to lead them into the promised land that God was with him. He had no reason to be afraid because God was going to be with him wherever he went. If you read the book of Joshua, you will see that Joshua followed the Lord all the days of his life and God used him to bring the people into the promised land. We can trust in God to do the same thing for us in the most difficult of circumstances because that's what Joshua found himself in. Yeah, I had thought about Joshua having some pretty big sandals to fill when Moses' back was against the Red Sea. I'm sure he didn't know what the solution was going to be because he never dreamed that the sea could be parted, that God would part the sea, and yet we know God can do anything. But until he does it, you don't know that. And so God had a lot of assurances that he gave Moses and the ways he dealt with Moses over the time. So this is Joshua, a new person, new situation. It's a whole new chapter in the life of the Israelites. Joshua's got some different kinds of things that he needs to do. He needs to lead them into battle and to take over the promised lands. It's so wonderfully reassuring and so beautiful when you read how many times God reassures Joshua, and that beautiful reassurance is what he wants for us too. When you talk about these two men, both Moses and Joshua, for examples, they saw God's faithfulness. They were obedient to God. They turned to him when times were very difficult. Consider how is Moses going to lead 600,000 men, which means probably 3 million people out of Egypt. How is he going to convince the Pharaoh to let him do that? It's impossible. But he trusted God. He went to God in faith. And because of that, he saw God's faithfulness. And then we see the same thing with Joshua. So as we read about these men and all that they did to trust God in impossible situations, then they came through on the other side and were able to see how God brought them through. We might not see that, or maybe we will, but we can be assured that God will bring us through. Let's look at another example. This one's from the New Testament. It comes from Mark chapter five, verses 26 to 34. That passage reads, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Let's stop right there for a minute. That's really depressing. She was sick for 12 years, but not just sick. She had a hemorrhage. That was huge in his Jewish culture, because if a woman is bleeding, she's unclean. That means she can't be around other people. If they touch her by accident, they become unclean. So from a spiritual standpoint, she was an outcast for 12 years. And then you think of the hemorrhage. I can only assume that this had to do with their female menstruational period. That means she'd be restricted from going places because women back then didn't have the conveniences that we do now in dealing with that particular monthly cycle. 
So she would be restricted probably to her own home. It says that she's endured much at the hands of physicians. Obviously, they weren't as adept as they are now at dealing with issues like that. We can have hysterectomies to stop that now, but she couldn't. And they didn't know what to do. They'd done everything. She had no hope that her problem would be taken care of physically. And not only that, but she'd spent all of her money trying to be cured. Even if something else came available, she wouldn't have the funds to deal with it. This woman was desperate. Do you think she was anxious and fearful? I think so. So she did the only thing that she could do after trying everything the world offers. It says in Mark 5, 27, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Well, what good is it going to do to touch somebody's cloak? To us, you think, well, nothing. You need to go and ask him to heal you because people knew that he was a healer. But she just touched his cloak. Well, we learn why. In Mark 5, 28, it says, For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her afflictions. Did you catch why she just touched the robe? Because she knew that's all she had to do to be healed. It's so unique. But she had faith in Jesus that it didn't need to be this big public event where he healed her. It didn't even need to be face to face. She knew Jesus could heal her. Just being with him, and in this case, just touching the fringe of his garments. And the fringe of his garments, by the way, were the most important aspect of what a Jewish man wore at that time, because that was the little tassels on his prayer shawl. She knew if she just touched them, she would be healed. And she was. Going back to what may seem an innocuous phrase, but it really pulls up what you're talking about here. It says, after hearing about Jesus, and I thought that's it, his qualities, That's what she heard about. And when we concentrate and meditate on his qualities, that helps our faith. That builds our faith and makes it stronger and stronger so that by the time she approached him, she had that faith and confidence in who he was enough to reach out and just touch. And that's when he commends her for her faith. He turns around and says, who touched my garment? And I'm sure when you talk about fear, she was probably pretty afraid at that point in time because he knew. She thought she could just touch him and get away with it. She didn't get away with it, but instead, Jesus looks around to see her. She falls down before him because there's really nothing else to do at that point. You've been caught. (laughs) So he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Well, that's a loving, tender response. And so what does she get besides her healing? Is she, she kind of cements that relationship with Jesus Christ. She knows she belongs to him. He calls her daughter. How beautiful. You bring up the fact that she had heard about Jesus. How did she hear? People were talking about Jesus. People were telling her about Jesus. Are we doing that? Are we so excited about who Jesus is and his characteristics and his qualities that we're telling people about him? Or do we shy away because the name of Jesus offends people? She was so desperate that she was willing to do anything, but it was more than that. It wasn't just desperation that led her to Jesus. When she heard about him, she knew 
She immediately had faith in Jesus Christ. You see, faith isn't something where we have to go to church and sign a bunch of documents or perform a bunch of rituals. It's simply a change of heart where we recognize we are sinners. We are out of control in this life and we can't meet our own needs. She certainly couldn't with her issues that God can. And so we turned to him and she knew that Jesus could. So she turn to him. I'm going to read the passages that you alluded to here in Mark 5 verse 30 that says immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeded from him had gone forth turned around in the crowd and said who touched my garments. Well of course he's Jesus he knew what had happened. It says and his disciples said to him oh you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say who touched me and he looked around to see the woman who had done this. Now again there must have been a big crowd there. How would he know it was the woman, except that he's Jesus and he knows everything? Or maybe she was standing there, a complete new creature that had the joy of the Lord glowing from her. Mark 5, 33 goes on to read, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She comes to Jesus in fear and trembling. Now that's could be an, I'm afraid what he's going to do to me because she had faith in Jesus, but she didn't know him that well. It could be also a respectful fear and a trembling at what had happened and the power that had gone out from him and what she had experienced. And then it's that final word by Jesus as you read, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Why was she saved? Her faith. Her faith is what made her well, spiritually as well as physically. We can turn to God whenever we have anything that brings us anxiety. Now, a lot of times, because we're human, we will do everything else first, just as this woman did. We'll go to the doctors. We'll spend our money. We'll talk to our friends. We'll read it on the internet and find out everything we can about what's causing us anxiety. And when we're finally out of control and have no other means to solve our issues, then we turn to Jesus. Now, I'm glad that she did, and I'm glad that we do. But I've also learned over time, it's much easier to go to Jesus first and foremost, instead of letting anxiety or fear take over. Because when that does, we walk through some difficult, tumultuous times that God doesn't want us to walk through. He wants us to experience the joy of his salvation, not those struggles that drag us downward. I think that contemplating his character is so important. And so I love that passage that you read. And that's one of the things that we need to do to overcome fear is to just turn to him and start remembering who he is, remembering the things he's promised, remembering the things that he's done for us in the past, remembering the things that he's done for other people in the past and what he's done for these people in the Bible. But remembering those things, and then perhaps those are ways that we can exercise our faith. builds just like you're building a muscle. Faith, I've heard, is like a muscle. And if you don't use it, it's kind of weak. But the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So doing those things, remembering those things, meditating on those things, and then praising him because God exists in the praises of his people. Mm, That's such a great example of the first thing we need to do, and that is to turn to God, as these people did, in faith and exercise our faith. 
not just talking that we're followers of Jesus, but be true, genuine followers of Jesus. Jesus is our friend. He's our savior. He has saved us from our sins. Do we not think he can save us from fear or anxiety or problems? As I said before, the problem may not leave, but our whole attitude and perspective will be different as we seek the Lord. That's the second thing we need to do after we've turned to Jesus in faith is to trust him. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He may not do what we want, but he's always going to do what's best. Trusting God is a refuge for our fear. There's little promise books that you can buy full of the promises of God that as we study them, we realize we can trust him. One is Psalm 56, three and four, which reads, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And that is so true. We do it to ourselves more than men do it to us. But we can trust in God. Deuteronomy 31, 6 reads, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Probably the verse that I use the most when I'm thinking about trusting in God and not fearing is 2 Timothy 1, 7, which reads, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. And what that means is God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. So when we have it, it's from the evil one. Therefore, we need to reject it because we don't want anything of the evil one in our lives. Because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, he's given us something to overcome it, and that is power, power to overcome fear, and that's through his Holy Spirit. And he gives us love, his love, which will cast out fear if we hang on to what he has given us and recognize who we are in Christ. And finally, a sound mind, which allows us to control fear. It's interesting to me that you brought up the Second Timothy verse as one of the verses that you go to when you have fear. And I thought, isn't that wonderful to kind of have an emergency medical kit of all the verses that build you up at times when you really, really need those. You can go to them and you can hold on to those. And you had a particular time in your life, a situation that you might want to explain to us how you kept your faith through trial. Well, both of us have. It's one thing to look at these stories in Scripture and say, well, yeah, but that's in the Bible. But when we share a personal testimony, that makes it more real. When our oldest son was born and we prayed for years to be able to have a child, and when God finally opened my womb and allowed us to have a child and he was born, he was born with a lot of medical problems. He had a big lump on the back of his neck. When the doctors saw it, they didn't know what it was. They didn't know if it was brain matter, if it was spine matter. They knew it had to come off, but they didn't know what they were taking off. So at two days of age, while I was still recuperating from a C-section and a bad fever, they took him into surgery and removed what they had to remove. Afterwards, they said the surgery was great. We still don't know what's going to happen. He can develop a lot of issues, and we're just going to have to wait and see. But hey, I had my son that I had prayed for, and I loved him, and I was happy as a little lark because I knew God would take care of him one way or another. Well, four months into his life, he developed hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain. Fortunately, he didn't develop all the other things that they said he might, but that one he did, and that's very serious. If it's not dealt with, it'll squeeze your brain and cause brain damage. 
So the doctor felt it an emergency situation that he needed to have a shunt where they would drain the water from the head into his stomach that would happen forever for the rest of his life. And that was one thing that they recommended. So after much prayer and after discussing it with other doctors, we made plans for that surgery on a Wednesday morning. Sunday at church, I was a basket case. I had grown to love this little boy so much that I was afraid to give him up to the surgeons. But later, God showed me that I was afraid to trust God with his life in the surgery. I'm not a basket case. That's not me. I'm not emotional. So that was a really tough time. Every time someone said something at church, I started bawling. So we went home that afternoon and just stayed at home. And I cried and cried. And finally, I went to the word and I talked to God about it and told him how afraid I was. I'm not even sure how I came to this verse, but I did in Matthew 10, 37, that says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And what that said to me is he who loves Bobby, my son's name, more than Jesus isn't worthy of me. And I loved him so much I was not willing to give him into God's hands to let go and let God do what he was going to do. That was a turning point in my life. And I immediately confessed that to the Lord, and he changed my heart. And I was actually joyous to see what God was going to do. Instead of being fearful and anxious and crying and tearful, I was joyful and happy. Even so, I took food to the doctors and the nurses who were at the hospital when we went to the hospital. I just trusted God. And if he wanted to take my son, I knew he had a better plan in mind. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life at one of the most difficult times. Now, the bottom line for us was right before surgery was going to start, the doctor came in and said, we did a CAT scan, and it shows that there's water on his head's receding. He's going to need this surgery, but he doesn't need it today, and I know you don't want to do it until he needs it, so I'm going to let you go home. We went home, and he never needed that surgery. God chose to heal him. In addition to that, he healed me. He turned me from my anxiety, and I learned right then and there that I could trust God in every situation. Sometimes it takes those personal experiences to get us to see that God is for us and he wants us to come to him because he will do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. The doctor couldn't have reduced that water. Only God could. When we trust in him, we have nothing to fear. Well, then after trusting in God, we need to refuse to give in to that fear. If you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were standing before the king, they said in Daniel three seventeen and 18, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. They were going to be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire because they wouldn't worship the king. And they said, that's okay. God's going to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to do the right thing. They refused to give in to the fear that everybody else was afraid of. Look at the fear that we've experienced through COVID and all the ramifications about it. Have we turned to God to find out what he wants us to do? Or have we just gone along with what the government tells us? We've got to stay clear of that fear and anxiety. And the only way to do that is Jesus. And then finally, when we have turned to Jesus and trusted in him and refused to give in to fear, we rest in his peace. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 4, 7. 
Today, I encourage you, whatever is going on in your life now or will happen in the future, there is an answer. There is an antidote. And that's Jesus Christ. Turn to him to experience that. Just like taking a pill might heal you, turn to Jesus to experience his peace. And he tells us that very thing in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's take God at his word and stand on the truth to seek him out and follow him rather than letting fear get a hold of us. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.